You're locked on the Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Megaphone, and the Odyssey app. Doing so does not cost you a single penny and ensures you never miss another episode. Tonight's podcast is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts a car will ever need, visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. On tonight's episode, there are a couple of topics of interest that I thought I would cover. The first order of business is to recap the very end of Tampa Bay versus the New York Islanders, which was a relatively short overtime period. We recapped periods one through three yesterday, so be sure to check out that episode if you didn't catch it already or if you just missed the game in general. Following that, I'll have some thoughts from Vegas versus Montreal tonight, game number six, a major game for both teams as it is essentially an elimination game for the Vegas Golden Knights. Then, closing us out, I thought it would be a good idea to tackle the topic of the Seattle Kraken and especially their head coaching hire and what it may suggest about the team as a whole. Before talking about the future though, let's talk about the past and present. And we'll start with the Islanders beating the Tampa Bay Lightning in overtime thanks to a beautiful Anthony Beauvillier goal, which was the result of a bit of an ugly turnover, right? So... Blake Coleman, I think, was behind his net, tried to make a feed out front or something like that, ended up getting caught. Bavillier, who has had a bit of a rough series so far, actually had a major goal contribution here, scoring the game winner. It was a huge deal. He just sort of read the pass. It was a bad turnover, to be honest, but certainly did take some effort from Bavillier to immediately snap that one top corner and win the game. Tampa Bay hasn't been great with the puck management, which I think is a theme for both teams, really. They have been a little bit loose once they're in possession, which is not a surprise. I think both teams are are definitely feeling a little bit of the fatigue. They've been beating upon one another. I think both teams are probably at least a little bit gassed, and, you know, some of the injuries and stuff are starting to set in. The loss of Kucherov does look like it'll play a pretty big role throughout the rest of the series. Whatever happens, you have to think that in Game 7, his absence could be a huge turning point if, in fact, he's, he's not in. The Lightning obviously have plenty of offensive depth to kind of supplement for somebody like Kucherov, but again, you're not going to get anywhere near that level of sheer production and skill. The Islanders are are kind of in an interesting spot where they're pretty much at full strength as far as I know. Um, Anders Lee is the only one who's still missing, but for the most part, that team is is more or less as good as it's going to be. And so I have to say, I don't know, the Islanders have been a little bit lacking in clinicism, which is not super shocking. That team is not really built with a lot of high-end skill. And it did make me laugh a little bit that Lou Lamorello was actually uh, elected the NHL GM of the year. I look at Lamorello's track record as something of a mixed bag. You know, this, this award was actually voted on right after the playoffs had been a pretty decent amount of the way through. So Montreal and the Islanders had both made it pretty far, which doesn't really shock me that Mark Bergevin and Lou Lamorello were actually both uh, finalists in the voting. Um, and what I'll say is this. I think Lou is is a decent GM, but I don't think he's anything special. He basically gave away Devin Taves for, what, like two second round picks, and Taves looks to be an elite top four defender, especially for the, the Colorado Avalanche. He's the exact kind of player that, you know, the Islanders could have used especially in this series where mobility on the back end is a big deal in creating offense and transitioning the play. 
I'm kind of surprised Joe Sackick didn't actually win because I feel like Sackick has actually done a really good job. Um, you know, his moves have been impressive. I feel like his thinking, at least in terms of maybe hiring the right folks and listening to them, has paid off quite a bit. Sackick will still have some of his blind spots like every GM, but for the most part, I feel like in, in contrast to where he started a couple of seasons ago and where he's at now, it's like a totally different person. And the Avs look like they're going to be set up for playoff success for the long run, which is not how I see either of the Islanders or Habs. I feel like GM of the year needs to encompass a couple of different things. You know, if you're positioning your team for a win-now mode and you actually do pull it off or at least set up the team for a lot of dominant success, that's fine, right? You can actually make really good trades and roster moves that would merit something of a GM of the year award. But for me, I tend to look at this as an award that should be about folks who are building for the long term without sacrificing the present. And I look at the Colorado Avalanche as a chief example of this. The asset management that they have, the way that they've built their team with a long term in mind, the uh, the sheer amount of talent and skill that's present all throughout the roster. That, to me, is an NHL GM of the ward kind of team. And I'm surprised that uh, Sackick didn't really get much recognition in terms of like uh, finalist votes and all that stuff. So... You know, Lamarillo, I can't say that he doesn't deserve it in terms of getting his team a decent amount of the way, but I look at this squad and I think Trotz probably has more to do with that than anything. I don't think Trotz actually won the Jack Adams either. It was, um, I forget who actually won it this year. Oh, that's right, it was Rod Brindamore, which actually is a pretty okay nomination. Uh, but in terms of Trotz and his impact on the Islanders, you know, I feel like he's done a lot for this team. Again, some of his blind spots are kind of an issue. I feel like Leo Komarov playing as much as he does, plus some of the other fourth-line grinders, maybe getting elevated ice time is a bit of an issue, but for the most part, it's hard to argue against Trotz and the way that he runs this team. I think he's gotten much more mileage out of this roster than most other NHL coaches would, so in my mind, I feel like he does deserve at least a nomination in the finalist category. I understand why Dean Evason and Joel Quenville, along with Brindamore, were in fact the three that they ended up choosing from, but Barry just seems to work magic on teams that don't have a lot of high-end talent. And it's not like, you know, the, the Islanders are some chump squad, they're not, but certainly compared to like the Tampa Bay Lightning, they're a lot shallower. If they win the cup this year, uh, of course, the uh, the goaltending will be a big part, but, you know, Barry Trotz and the way that he has managed to get this team through a lot of difficult times and coach the team to be a pretty strong defensive unit, especially up and down the roster between the forwards and the defenders, I feel like deserves a lot of recognition, and he would actually be a pretty deserving coach when it comes to winning a title this season. I'd say that they deserve it more than the Montreal Canadiens, even though the Canadiens themselves are actually playing pretty well. And we'll talk about the Canadiens later tonight, but I don't want to jump into the Habs quite yet. I still think that this Islander series is basically up in the air. Anyone could win it at any point. Um, and I feel like game number seven is going to be a coin flip. Tampa Bay has shown that they can be really dominant, and then the Islanders respond right back with a really strong effort. It will be tough for the Islanders to actually win on the road in Tampa. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of noise, and I'm sure that the, uh, the, the Emily Arena is going to be absolutely rocking. We'll shortly find out if New York is, in fact, ready to take the next step and compete for it all. If, in fact, this is going to be a Stanley Cup final between the Montreal Canadiens and the New York Islanders, this is like max chaos, and I kind of love it in a way. It's not what anyone expected or asked for, but it is going to be, in its own way, a really thrilling, very interesting, very unusual cup final, and not something we've really seen in a while. Let me know who you're pooling for in these series and who you want to see advance to the Stanley Cup final at HLLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets on Twitter. Up next, we will talk about uh, Montreal versus Vegas, which has been a very engaging game tonight. But before then, I thought you should hear about why BetOnline.ag should be the only place you do your online betting. 
When it comes to the wild, wild west of online betting, you need to know that there's a safe, reliable name that you can trust every single time. That's why you should look no further than Bet Online. They're the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. Baseball and hockey season are in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including the MLB, NHL, NBA, UFC, MMA, international football, and every sport in between. No matter what you're into, Bet Online has your back. Before the next pitch or face-off, head on over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up for bonuses, and enter all the contests to your heart desires. Stop sitting on the sidelines and get in on the action as your favorite teams begin their playoff quests for glory. Win as your favorite teams win. Sign up for a free account at BetOnline.ag, and when you do, be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON to receive a matched 50% welcome bonus when you make your very first deposit. Again, that is promo code LOCKEDON at registration for a matched 50% welcome bonus when you make your very first deposit at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are recapping now some thoughts from Vegas versus Montreal. It has been a crazy, crazy game six, one with a lot of shots, a lot of saves, some really good scoring plays, some maybe greasier goals from both teams. It honestly feels like a game seven because for the Vegas Golden Knights, it basically is. They're down 3-2 in the series. This is an elimination game. They need to have a really big showing. And their performance thus far has been maybe a touch on the lackluster side compared to their usual standards. You know, this is a very proud, very fast, very skilled Vegas team, and they just haven't quite been at the races as per usual. That said, this performance is a lot livelier than their last game. This looks more like their third period from game number four, in which they were very active, very fast, creating lots of dangerous counters. Montreal, though, has also had its own really impactful gameplay. They have done a good job of creating off the rush, and I feel like their attacking in the slot area has been nice. It's been uh, creating a lot of chaos. Of course, Cole Caulfield has been a menace with a beautiful goal himself. Where both teams are definitely struggling, though, is on the special teams. I believe it's just the Montreal power play that has connected, and they've had more than a couple of chances tonight to do so. The Vegas power play has also not been all that great, so I don't think it's just the PK units doing really good work. Both teams haven't really been able to create much on the power play. It's been a little bit of a mess, but the even strength creation is there. Overall, I have to say that this has been a fun watch. Uh, Carey Price has looked very good for a couple of major saves, but then some of his, uh, some of the goals he's conceded tonight, maybe not so great. I feel like the second goal that sort of leaked through him was a little bit ugly, but Robin Lerner probably won't be happy with the two goals that he has surrendered either. It's just been a really tight-pitched, very skilled battle, and I feel like the goals against you can't really say aren't deserved in terms of the final scoreline. I feel like these teams have done a great job of creating down low. Um, the counters and stuff have been incredibly dangerous. I'm actually watching a counter right now with Vegas that looks super fantastic, but Montreal defended it really well, ended up breaking it up. And there's been a lot of this where you have a really good counter and then the other team makes a smart interception or just positions well to break it up and spring the counter back the other way. A lot of back and forth action. Montreal has had almost uh, one or two breakaways, but unfortunately for the Habs, the puck ended up not settling for guys like Corey Perry. It is interesting that they have gotten this Route 1 breakaway attempt at least a couple of times throughout the series. I feel like Vegas's defenders, either on the line change or something, have allowed a central gap right up the middle to a breakaway forward, who's usually sitting behind the defenders. The indirect passes off the walls have certainly given Vegas fits, but this pass up the neutral zone right up the middle has also been something of a menace, and it's happened multiple times, like enough where it's some kind of a pattern with the team. I'm not sure why Vegas concedes so many of these chances. Usually you see this with something like the Jets when they have a really bad line change. Maybe Vegas doesn't really hustle to the bench fast enough. 
but it is kind of a strange one. And Montreal has put a lot of pressure on this Vegas D to be perfect on chances like that, so very unusual. After everything, though, the game is still tied 2-2 heading into the end of this third period. I'm curious to know if this one is actually going to go to overtime. I'm not going to recap the full ending, but I will talk about it on tomorrow's episode, regardless of who ends up winning. I will say that uh, throughout the series, a couple of things have stood out to me. I feel like Montreal has let a lot of the kids play very aggressively, which is great for Cole Caulfield, Nick Suzuki. I guess you could argue that guys like Armia and Anderson are maybe on the younger side, but I don't really view them in the same category. This series for me has largely been defined by the kids being really active and and creating at both ends of the ice, so I've been very impressed with how they've handled things. Uh, Suzuki and Caulfield in particular are just menaces, and when you combine that with some really good skilled transition creators like Arturi Lekkinen, Brendan Gallagher, and strength but skilled strength in the bottom six, I feel like for the most part Montreal has found a pretty workable formula for how to essentially deal with Vegas's really imposing depth. I mean, the Vegas lineup is extremely deep, it's very skilled, the defense is strong, everything on the Knights roster more or less ticks off the box. Like any team, the Knights will occasionally dress somebody like Ryan Reeves, but for the most part, their roster just does not have many weaknesses. I've been very impressed with their performance overall. This series, a little bit less so. I feel like the the fatigue is definitely an issue. The goaltending hasn't been great. And on and off, their offensive creation has been at a near standstill. Tonight, definitely not the case. They've been very active. They've been dangerous. It's been something of a goaltending battle on and off, but I'm curious to know which team is actually going to survive this one. This has been a very tight series. If Vegas can stave off elimination for one game, it could be a major turning point. They could definitely see this one off at home, but Montreal has been a huge pest and certainly doesn't appear to be afraid to win on the road, so I'm not really sure who's actually going to prevail in this series. I've been impressed with both teams at various points, but it feels like Montreal might just be destined to move on. If the Habs make the cup final, I'm sure the league is going to be kicking itself, but this is kind of the parody situation that they've created for themselves. Also, this year's NHL playoff structure kind of owing to the divisions. It's not something that we're likely to see again in the coming seasons, so I would imagine that Montreal is not going to be sniffing the playoffs as often as they are in a season or situation like this where the road for them is actually a lot easier than usual. Once they are back in the Atlantic, I think it's going to be tough sledding again. But, you know, the Atlantic itself is not that great of a division, so who knows? Maybe I'm talking out my butt. If the cup final ends up being the uh, the Habs versus the Isles, let me know who you're rooting for at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets, and maybe I will talk about the results and the votes on a future podcast. But for now, we are actually going to look ahead to the future instead of thinking about the cup finals and look even beyond that and talk about a team that has everyone discussing the uh, the state of the NHL and certainly the state of the coaching scene because the Seattle Kraken have hired their brand new head coach. And, well, he's not exactly a brand new candidate, so to speak. Before we talk about the future of the Kraken, though, let's talk about the present and why you should be using rockauto.com. There are countless makes and models of vehicles out there, and it's hard to keep up. Auto parts stores also can't keep up, and there's a real good chance they won't have what you need in stock when you need replacement parts. Why wait around in line at an auto parts store just to find out they don't have what you need when you have at-home access to rockauto.com's expansive warehouse right on your own computer? Save time and money when you choose rockauto.com. They're a family-run business with over 20 years of experience in the automotive industry. Their easy-to-use, intuitive website allows you to sort by make, year, and model of your vehicle, and that's at a price range filter, so you always get the parts that you need at the prices you want. Whether you need a floor mat replacement or an engine control module, rockauto.com is sure to have what you need in stock. And best of all, you can save anywhere from 20, 30, even 50% off retail brick-and-mortar in-store pricing, so why shop anywhere else? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. 
right? Locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts a car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com. Hello, friends, and welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We have talked about the present NHL playoffs. Now it's time to talk about the future Seattle Kraken. And now they have actually made a move in the present to hire head coach Dave Haxtell. If there are any of you who listen to this podcast and are Philadelphia Flyers fans, you already have some level of stress disorder from thinking about Dave Haxtell hockey. We've seen him be um, less than ideal as far as NHL coaches are concerned. Haxtell kind of had a bad habit of falling into the rabbit hole of favoring a lot of weaker, maybe less skilled players who were very much used to college systems. And I think Haxtell, you know, he couldn't really get himself out of it. In terms of like his assessment of NHL talent, I felt like the time on ice distributions and stuff, his tactical approaches, all of that was less than optimal. Maybe in the intervening time since he last had an NHL job, he's picked up a few things and he maybe has a few different ideas as to how he wants to approach this this run with the Kraken, but I can't say looking at his resume and the coaching staff that are currently available on the market that I feel like he's the best choice. Now, maybe he sold them on a really good pitch and they have a feeling like this guy can actually get used to a younger roster, maybe get a decent amount of standings points in your opening season, even if the team itself is going to be a little bit lackluster compared to what maybe Vegas had on offer when they were doing their draft. I will say that I can't imagine too many of the deeper analytics staff were thrilled with bringing in Haxtell. He doesn't really look like the kind of coach that would fit a younger, more progressive team. So this hire for me feels like one that Francis is kind of coming up with. And if that's the case, maybe the Jets can actually end up getting Logan Stanley or something claimed instead of one of the other younger forwards that they want to protect. You know, you've got Andrew Kopp, Mason Appleton, lots of other guys, Dylan DeMello who needs to be protected. Or if you think that Josh Morrissey really can't be salvaged and this is as good as he gets without having any quality partners like DeMello to carry him, maybe you can convince Seattle that he is in fact a shutdown top pairing D-man who brings a lot of offensive traits that would make it a useful claim for the, uh, the first top pairing of the Seattle Kraken franchise. The Jets, as it stands, don't really have enough cap space to do um, both Morrissey and Pionk long-term, so I would take a look at seeing if you could get Seattle to consider Morrissey, or maybe they take on Blake Wheeler or something. The Jets have a lot of opportunities here in terms of moving some contracts that are maybe a bit less than stellar. I don't know that Francis is going to look to bring on a lot of money in a COVID situation. I think the ownership group is not going to be interested in taking on a lot of high-end salary, especially for players who are on the wrong side of 30. So I look at the Wheeler deal and think that that one's probably not going anywhere, but I could see Josh Morrissey being a potentially interesting claim. Josh could be a useful defender for them, especially when they don't have many young defenders themselves. He would be a huge boost to their left side. And if you give him the right partner, Morrissey can be a serviceable guy. Maybe he just needs a change of scenery. I don't know. Whatever it is, you know, he's not really living up to the expectations of his contract with the Jets, that's for sure. And frankly, the Jets kind of need to find an alternative solution to their left-handed side problem because you look at the right side and the right side is pretty decent, but the left side is kind of a disaster. And the left side has always been that way for the Jets for some reason. It's like the one area that they've never really solved. And while losing Morrissey would actually tax that a good deal, I also kind of think you have to make the move because Pionk for me would be a bigger priority to bring back. And the only way you really can make it work is if you lose some salary elsewhere. So Morrissey off the books would help the Jets a lot probably. 
and it might be time to see if Vili Heinola or Dylan Sandberg or some of the other young kids can fill in the hole and maybe be serviceable. I would imagine the Jets would probably pursue some kind of a free agent or something, but Winnipeg is going to have to give itself the flexibility. So I, I don't know how the soft season is going to play out. There's a lot that has to be, I think, processed for this team. The playoffs and the regular season in a lot of ways were huge disappointments. So we'll see what the Jets do from here. I honestly don't know. The Kraken are going to play a huge role in whatever happens with the Jets going forward. So let's hope it's positive news for Winnipeg. Suppose we can leave off with that for tonight. On tomorrow's episode, we will have some more playoff semifinals coverage, the two series conclusions, and any additional news that breaks out tomorrow. Before you log off for tonight, though, be sure to check out one of our other great podcasts. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked Into Today podcast. Host Peter Burkowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked Into Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your favorite shows. And as always, thanks for listening. Have a great night and go Jets go.